0: Part Five of *The Prince* by Niccolò Machiavelli, translated by W. K. Marriott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bob Neufeld. Chapter Eighteen, Concerning the Way in Which Princes Should Keep Faith. Every one admits how praiseworthy it is in a prince to keep faith and to live with integrity and not with craft nevertheless our experience has been that those princes who have done great things have held good faith of little account and have known how to circumvent the intellect of men by craft and in the end have overcome those who have relied on their word you must know that there are two ways of contesting the one by the law the other by force the first method is proper to men the second to beasts but because the first is frequently not sufficient it is necessary to have recourse to the second therefore it is necessary for a prince to understand how to avail himself of the beast and the man this has been figuratively taught to princes by ancient writers who describe how achilles and many other princes of old were given to the centaur chiron to nurse who brought them up in his discipline which means solely that As they had for a teacher one who was half beast and half man, so it is necessary for a prince to know how to make use of both natures, and that one without the other is not durable. A prince, therefore, being compelled knowingly to adopt the beast, ought to choose the fox and the lion, because the lion cannot defend himself against snares, and the fox cannot defend himself against wolves. Therefore it is necessary to be a fox to discover the snares, and a lion to terrify the wolves. Those who rely simply on the lion do not understand what they are about. Therefore a wise lord cannot, nor ought he to, keep faith when such observance may be turned against him, and when the reasons that cause him to pledge it exist no longer. If men were entirely good, this precept would not hold but because they are bad and will not keep faith with you you too are not bound to observe it with them nor will there ever be wanting to a prince legitimate reasons to excuse this non-observance of this endless modern examples could be given showing how many treaties and engagements have been made void and of no effect through the faithlessness of princes and he who has known best how to employ the fox has succeeded best but it is necessary to know well how to disguise this characteristic and to be a great pretender and dissembler and men are so simple and so subject to present necessities that he who seeks to deceive will always find someone who will allow himself to be deceived one recent example i cannot pass over in silence alexander the sixth did nothing else but deceive men, nor ever thought of doing otherwise, and he always found victims. For there never was a man who had greater power in asserting, or with greater oaths would affirm, a thing, yet would observe it less. Nevertheless, his deceits always succeeded according to his wishes, because he well understood this side of mankind." therefore it is unnecessary for a prince to have all the good qualities i have enumerated but it is very necessary to appear to have them and i shall dare to say this also that to have them and always to observe them is injurious and that to appear to have them is useful to appear merciful faithful humane religious upright and to be so BUT WITH A MIND SO FRAMED THAT SHOULD YOU REQUIRE NOT TO BE SO, YOU MAY BE ABLE AND KNOW HOW TO CHANGE TO THE OPPOSITE. AND YOU HAVE TO UNDERSTAND THIS, THAT A PRINCE, ESPECIALLY A NEW ONE, CANNOT OBSERVE ALL THESE THINGS FOR WHICH MEN ARE ESTEEMED, BEING OFTEN FORCED, IN ORDER TO MAINTAIN THE STATE, TO ACT CONTRARY TO FIDELITY, FRIENDSHIP, HUMANITY AND RELIGION. Therefore it is necessary for him to have a mind ready to turn itself accordingly as the winds and variations of fortune force it, yet, as I have said before, not to diverge from the good if he can avoid doing so, but, if compelled, then to know how to set about it. For this reason a prince ought to take care that he never lets anything slip from his lips that is not replete with the above-named five qualities. That he may appear to him who sees and hears him altogether merciful faithful humane upright and religious there is nothing more necessary to appear to have than this last quality inasmuch as men judge generally more by the eye than by the hand because it belongs to everybody to see you to few to come in touch with you everyone sees what you appear to be few really know what you are and those few dare not oppose themselves to the opinion of the many who have the majesty of the state to defend them and in the actions of all men and especially of princes which it is not prudent to challenge one judges by the result for that reason let a prince have the credit for a conquering and holding his state The means will always be considered honest, and he will be praised by everybody, because the vulgar are always taken by what a thing seems to be and by what comes of it, and in the world there are only the vulgar, for the few find a place there only when the many have no ground to rest on. One prince of the present time, whom it is not well to name, never preaches anything else but peace and good faith. And to both he is most hostile, and either, if he had kept it, would have deprived him of reputation and kingdom many a time. Chapter nineteen That One Should Avoid Being Despised and Hated. Now, concerning the characteristics of which mention is made above, I have spoken of the more important ones. The others I wish to discuss briefly under this generality that the prince must consider as has been in part said before how to avoid those things which will make him hated or contemptible and as often as he shall have succeeded he will have fulfilled his part and he need not fear any danger in other reproaches it makes him hated above all things as i have said to be rapacious and to be a violator of the property and women of his subjects From both of which he must abstain. And when neither their property nor their honor is touched, the majority of men live content. And he has only to contend with the ambition of a few, whom he can curb with ease in many ways. It makes him contemptible to be considered fickle, frivolous, effeminate, mean spirited, irresolute, from all of which a prince should guard himself as from a rock and he should endeavor to show in his actions greatness courage gravity and fortitude and in his private dealings with his subjects let him show that his judgments are irrevocable and maintain himself in such reputation that no one can hope either to deceive him or to get round him the prince is highly esteemed who conveys this impression of himself and he who is highly esteemed is not easily conspired against for provided it is well known that he is an excellent man and revered by his people he can only be attacked with difficulty for this reason a prince ought to have two fears one from within on account of his subjects the other from without on account of external powers from the latter he is defended by being well armed and having good allies and if he is well armed he will have good friends and affairs will always remain quiet within when they are quiet without unless they should have been already disturbed by a conspiracy and even should affairs outside be disturbed if he has carried out his preparations and has lived as i have said as long as he does not despair he will resist every attack as i said Nabis the spartan did but concerning his subjects when affairs outside are disturbed he has only to fear that they will conspire secretly from which a prince can easily secure himself by avoiding being hated and despised and by keeping the people satisfied with him which it is most necessary for him to accomplish as i said above at length and one of the most efficacious remedies that a prince can have against conspiracies is not to be hated and despised by the people for he who conspires against a prince always expects to please them by his removal but when the conspirator can only look forward to offending them he will not have the courage to take such a course for the difficulties that confront a conspirator are infinite and as experience shows MANY HAVE BEEN THE CONSPIRACIES, BUT FEW HAVE BEEN SUCCESSFUL, BECAUSE HE WHO CONSPIRES CANNOT ACT ALONE, NOR CAN HE TAKE A COMPANION EXCEPT FROM THOSE WHOM HE BELIEVES TO BE MALCONTENTS. AND AS SOON AS YOU HAVE OPENED YOUR MIND TO A MALCONTENT, YOU HAVE GIVEN HIM THE MATERIAL WITH WHICH TO CONTENT HIMSELF, FOR BY DENOUNCING YOU HE CAN LOOK FOR EVERY ADVANTAGE so that, seeing the gain from this course to be assured, and seeing the other to be doubtful and full of dangers, he must be a very rare friend, or a thoroughly obstinate enemy of the prince, to keep faith with you. And to reduce the matter into a small compass, I say that on the side of the conspirator there is nothing but fear, jealousy, prospect of punishment to terrify him but on the side of the prince there is the majesty of the principality the laws the protection of friends and the state to defend him so that adding to all these things the popular good will it is impossible that any one should be so rash as to conspire for whereas in general the conspirator has to fear before the execution of his plot in this case he has also to fear the sequel to the crime because on account of it he has the people for an enemy and thus cannot hope for any escape endless examples could be given on this subject but i will be content with one brought to pass within the memory of our fathers messer alibali bentivogli who was prince in bologna grandfather of the present alibali having been murdered by the caneschi who had conspired against him not one of his family survived but messer giovanni who was in childhood immediately after his assassination the people rose and murdered all the Kineski. this sprung from the popular good-will which the house of Bentivoglio enjoyed in those days in bologna which was so great that although none remained there after the death of annibali who was able to rule the state the bolognese having information that there was one of the bentivoli family in florence who up to that time had been considered the son of a blacksmith sent to florence for him and gave him the government of their city and it was ruled by him until messer giovanni came in due course to the government for this reason i consider that a prince ought to reckon conspiracies of little account when his people hold him in esteem but when it is hostile to him and bears hatred towards him he ought to fear everything and everybody and well-ordered states and wise princes have taken every care not to drive the nobles to desperation and to keep the people satisfied and contented for this is one of the most important objects a prince can have among the best ordered and governed kingdoms of our times is france and in it are found many good institutions on which depend the liberty and security of the king of these the first is the parliament and its authority because he who founded the kingdom knowing the ambition of the nobility and their boldness considered that a bit to their mouths would be necessary to hold them in and on the other side, knowing the hatred of the people, founded in fear against the nobles, he wished to protect them, yet he was not anxious for this to be the particular care of the king. Therefore, to take away the reproach which he would be liable to from the nobles by favoring the people, and from the people for favoring the nobles, he set up an arbiter, who should be one who could beat down the great and favor the lesser without approach to the king. Neither could you have a better or a more prudent arrangement, or a greater source of security to the king and kingdom. From this one can draw another important conclusion, that princes ought to leave affairs of reproach to the management of others, and keep those of grace in their own hands. And further, I consider that a prince ought to cherish the nobles, but not so as to make himself hated by the people. It may appear, perhaps, to some who have examined the lives and deaths of the Roman emperors, that many of them would be an example contrary to my opinion, seeing that some of them lived nobly and showed great qualities of soul. Nevertheless, they have lost their empire, or have been killed by subjects who have conspired against them. Wishing, therefore, to answer these objections, I will recall the characteristics of some of the emperors, And will show that the causes of their ruin were not different to those alleged by me at the same time i will only submit for consideration those things that are noteworthy to him who studies the affairs of those times it seems to me sufficient to take all those emperors who succeeded to the empire after marcus the philosopher down to maximinus they were marcus and his son commodus pertinax julian severus and his son antoninus caracalla macrinus heliogabalus alexander and maximinus there is first to note that whereas in other principalities the ambition of the nobles and the insolence of the people only have to be contended with the roman emperors had a third difficulty in having to put up with the cruelty and avarice of their soldiers a matter so beset with difficulties that it was the ruin of many for it was a hard thing to give satisfaction both to soldiers and people because the people loved peace and for this reason they loved the unaspiring prince whilst the soldiers loved the warlike prince who was bold cruel and rapacious which qualities they were quite willing he should exercise upon the people so that they could get double pay, and give vent to their own greed and cruelty. Hence it arose that those emperors were always overthrown, who, either by birth or training, had no great authority, and most of them, especially those who came new to the principality, recognizing the difficulty of these two opposing humors, were inclined to give satisfaction to the soldiers, caring little about injuring the people which course was necessary because as princes cannot help being hated by some one they ought in the first place to avoid being hated by every one and when they cannot compass this they ought to endeavor with the utmost diligence to avoid the hatred of the most powerful therefore those emperors who through inexperience had need of special favor adhered more readily to the soldiers than to the people a course which turned out advantageous to them or not accordingly as the prince knew how to maintain authority over them from these causes it arose that marcus pertinax and alexander being all men of modest life lovers of justice enemies to cruelty humane and benignant came to a sad end except marcus he alone lived and died honoured because he had succeeded to the throne by hereditary title and owed nothing either to the soldiers or the people, and afterwards, being possessed of many virtues which made him respected, he always kept both orders in their places, whilst he lived, and was neither hated nor despised. But Pertinax was created emperor against the wishes of the soldiers, who, being accustomed to live licentiously under Commodus, could not endure the honest life to which Pertinax wished to reduce them thus having given cause for hatred to which hatred there was added contempt for his old age he was overthrown at the very beginning of his administration and here it should be noted that hatred is acquired as much by good works as by bad ones therefore as i said before a prince wishing to keep his state is very often forced to do evil for when that body is corrupts whom you think you have need of to maintain yourself it may be either the people or the soldiers or the nobles you have to submit to its humours and to gratify them and then good works will do you harm but let us come to alexander who was a man of such great goodness that among the other praises which are accorded him is this that in the 14 years he held the empire no one was ever put to death by him unjudged nevertheless being considered effeminate and a man who allowed himself to be governed by his mother he became despised the army conspired against him and murdered him turning now to the opposite characters of commodus severus and caracalla and maximinus we will find them all cruel and rapacious men who to satisfy their soldiers did not hesitate to commit every kind of iniquity against the people and all except severus came to a bad end but in severus there was so much valor that keeping the soldiers friendly although the people were oppressed by him he reigned successfully for his valor made him so much admired in the sight of the soldiers and people that the latter were kept in a way astonished and awed and the former respectful and satisfied. And because the actions of this man as a new prince were great, I wish to show briefly that he knew well how to counterfeit the fox and the lion, which natures, as I said above, it is necessary for a prince to imitate. Knowing the sloth of the Emperor Julian, he persuaded the army in Sclavonia, of which he was captain, that it would be right to go to Rome and avenge the death of Pertinax, who had been killed by the Praetorian soldiers, and under this pretext, without appearing to aspire to the throne, he moved the army on Rome, and reached Italy before it was known that he had started. On his arrival at Rome the Senate, through fear, elected him emperor and killed Julian. After this there remained for Severus who wished to make himself master of the whole empire, one in Asia, where Niger, head of the Asiatic army, had caused himself to be claimed emperor, and the other in the west, where Albinus was, who also aspired to the throne. And as he considered it dangerous to declare himself hostile to both, he decided to attack Niger, and to deceive Albinus. To the latter he wrote that being elected emperor by the senate he was willing to share that dignity with him and sent him the title of caesar and moreover that the senate had made albinus his colleague which things were accepted by albinus as true but after severus had conquered and killed niger and settled oriental affairs he returned to rome and complained to the senate that albinus little recognizing the benefits that he had received from him had by treachery sought to murder him and for this ingratitude he was compelled to punish him afterwards he sought him out in france and took from him his government and life he who will therefore carefully examine the actions of this man will find him a most valiant lion and a most cunning fox he will find him feared and respected by everyone and not hated by the army and it need not be wondered at that he, a new man, was able to hold the empire so well, because his supreme renown always protected him from that hatred which the people might have conceived against him for his violence. But his son Antoninus was a most eminent man, and had very excellent qualities, which made him admirable in the sight of the people and acceptable to the soldiers, for he was a warlike man most enduring of fatigue, a despiser of all delicate food and other luxuries, which caused him to be loved by the armies. Nevertheless, his ferocity and cruelties were so great and so unheard of, that after endless single murders he killed a large number of people of Rome and all those of Alexandria. He became hated by the whole world, and also feared by those he had around him, to such an extent that he was murdered in the midst of his army by a centurion. And here it must be noted that such like deaths, which are deliberately inflicted with a resolved and desperate courage, cannot be avoided by princes, because any one who does not fear to die can inflict them. But a prince may fear them the less, because they are very rare." He has only to be careful not to do any grave injury to those whom he employs or has around him in the service of the state. Antoninus had not taken this care, but had contumeliously killed a brother of that centurion, whom he also daily threatened, yet retained in his bodyguard, which, as it turned out, was a rash thing to do, and proved the emperor's ruin but let us come to commodus to whom it should have been very easy to hold the empire for being the son of marcus he had inherited it and he had only to follow in the footsteps of his father to please his people and soldiers but being by nature cruel and brutal he gave himself up to amusing the soldiers and corrupting them so that he might indulge his rapacity upon the people on the other hand, not maintaining his dignity, often descending to the theatre to compete with gladiators, and doing other vile things, little worthy of the imperial majesty, he fell into contempt with the soldiers, and being hated by one party and despised by the other, he was conspired against and was killed. It remains to discuss the character of Maximinus. He was a very warlike man, and the armies, being disgusted with the effeminacy of Alexander, of whom I have already spoken, killed him, and elected Maximinus to the throne. This he did not possess for long, for two things made him hated and despised. The one, his having kept sheep in Thrace, which brought him into contempt, it being well known to all and considered a great indignity by every one and the other his having at the accession to his dominions deferred going to rome and taking possession of the imperial seat he had also gained a reputation for the utmost ferocity by having through his prefects in rome and elsewhere in the empire practised many cruelties so that the whole world was moved to anger at the meanness of his birth and to fear at his barbarity first africa rebelled then the senate with all the people of rome and all italy conspired against him to which may be added his own army this latter besieging aquileia and meeting with difficulties in taking it were disgusted with his cruelties and fearing him less when they found so many against him murdered him i do not wish to discuss heliogabalus macrinus or julian who being thoroughly contemptible were quickly wiped out but i will bring this discourse to a conclusion by saying that princes in our own times have this difficulty of giving inordinate satisfaction to their soldiers in a far less degree because notwithstanding one has to give them some indulgence that is soon done none of these princes have armies that are veterans in the governance and administration of provinces as were the armies of the roman empire and whereas it was then more necessary to give satisfaction to the soldiers than to the people it is now more necessary to all princes except the turk and the soldan to satisfy the people rather than the soldiers because the people are the more powerful from the above i have accepted the turk who always keeps round him twelve thousand infantry and fifteen thousand cavalry on which depend the security and strength of the kingdom and it is necessary that putting aside every consideration for the people he should keep them his friends the kingdom of the soldan is similar being entirely in the hands of soldiers it follows again that without regard to the people he must keep them his friends but you must note that the state of the soldan is unlike all other principalities for the reason that it is like the christian pontificate which cannot be called either an hereditary or a newly formed principality because the sons of the old prince are not the heirs but he who is elected to that position by those who have authority and the sons remain only noblemen and this being an ancient custom it cannot be called a new principality because there are none of those difficulties in it that are met with in new ones For although the prince is new, the constitution of the state is old, and it is framed so as to receive him as if he were its hereditary lord. But returning to the subject of our discourse, I say that whoever will consider it will acknowledge that either hatred or contempt has been fatal to the above named emperors, and it will be recognized also how it happened that a number of them acting in one way and a number in another, only one in each way came to a happy end and the rest to unhappy ones because it would have been useless and dangerous for pertinax and alexander being new princes to imitate marcus who was heir to the principality and likewise it would have been utterly destructive to caracalla commodus and maximinus to have imitated severus they not having sufficient valor to enable them to tread in his footsteps Therefore, a prince, new to the principality, cannot imitate the actions of Marcus, nor again is it necessary to follow those of Severus. But he ought to take from Severus those parts which are necessary to found his state, and from Marcus those which are proper and glorious, to keep a state that may already be stable and firm. End of part five.